0: Okay, good morning, everyone. Great to be with you. We are together. Debs and I are going to be covering Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5. And we're going to do a bit of a tag team today, okay? So I'm going to kick us off and I'm going to pass over to Debs. And it's a great joy to share God's Word with you. Let's look at uh, chapter 4 of Judges. I'm going to cover the first three verses. It says there, And the people of Israel again did what was evil on the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in, wait for it, Harosheth Hagoyim. That's a great one, isn't it? Harosheth Hagoyim. Yeah. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. When I was a little boy, I used to uh, hear this story. And I used to get quite annoyed with the children of Israel. I thought, for goodness sake, man, you're doing it again. Every single time we get this cycle, you know, you're serving God. It's going well. And then you decide to fall away and you go after other people's gods. And you go after a different kind of lifestyle. And you end up getting enslaved in sin and you get into trouble and to bother. And then you cry out for help. And God raises up, as we see here, a judge to help the people of God. And then they get delivered. And I used to read Judges and think, "Here we go again, over and over and over again. They keep making the same mistakes. And then as you grow a little bit older, and hopefully you mature a little bit, you suddenly realize, that's my story, to some degree. That's our story, to some degree. We might not wander away from the Lord for 20 years, But we might wander away for two days. We might wander away for six months. We might wander away for years. So I have great sympathy here for the people of God because I can see in my own life there's times when Jesus Christ has not been always central in every single aspect of my life. And therefore, I've got to be careful not to judge them and judge others, but to learn from their experience God puts them into a situation that's difficult and a little bit painful, to be be fair. And they have the opportunity to return to him. I want to challenge this right from the kickoff. How long does it take me and you to return to the Lord when we mess up? The thing that did strike me in this story was, people of God, why is it taking you 20 years To return to the Lord. How much oppression are you prepared to put up with before you return to the Lord? When you wander away from the Lord and things begin to go skewed and things mess up because Jesus Christ is not central in your life, how long does it take before you say, help? These guys and girls took 20 years before they finally, shall I say, saw the light. And said, maybe we should go back to God. Maybe we should cry out to God for help. That would be a good idea. 20 years. They had fixed their eyes on the power of the enemy. And they'd taken their eyes off the great God that was their God. They'd lost their perspective completely. And I felt the Lord share this in my heart from Scripture. This one verse, I wasn't planning to see it, but yesterday it came to me and I've written it down here. Here it is. It's in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. Here it goes. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to wash us clean from all unrighteousness. I want to say to the people of God today, if you've wandered... If you've gone off in the wrong direction, today, confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you, to cleanse you, come back to him. It's so important you don't wait any longer. And if anybody's watching uh, on live stream, also, if you've wandered away from the Lord, today is the day. Today is the day. Not tomorrow, not next week. Today is the day. Return to the Lord. Return to the Lord and put your relationship with him right. Amen.
1: I'm on? Yeah, okay. So in chapter 4, verse 4, we're introduced to Deborah. For those of you that don't know me, I am called Deborah. So um, my mum and dad chose Deborah because they love the biblical name and the character. And you know what? She is some namesake to follow after. She is some role model to follow after. She has a very impressive CV. So let's read verses 4 and 5 together. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. So the first thing that we learn about Deborah is that she was a prophetess. A prophet spends time in the presence of God, listening for his voice and for his wisdom and following his direction and passing that on, that wisdom on, to the people of God She had an understanding of God's plans and purposes. Now, some scholars believe that Deborah spent many hours in the temple making wicks for candle lamps and lighting those lamps. And those lit lamps were symbolic of waiting on the Lord. She did this for some time in the temple before God raised her up To a position of authority and leadership. You know, God used that time with Deborah in the temple to shape her character and equip her to become a great leader. God chose Deborah not because there was no one else around at the time, but because she loved to be in his presence and she loved to follow after him. Her heart was aligned with his to see the Israelites set free from sin and oppression do you know what we may not all be called to be prophets but we can learn from Deborah about having a passion to spend time with God and hear his voice now I love to uh, read certain books and there's a book I've read recently which is called The, The Night the Angels Came, Miracles of Protection and Provision in Burundi and it's about a lady called Chrissy Chapman who was a midwife by training in the UK and she felt called by God to go out to Burundi and to serve as a midwife and open a clinic over there. And she saw great hardship at times, but she saw incredible miracles as well. And she learned about spending time in God's presence. And I just want to read a little bit from this book to you. If I can find it. So just as a lead up to to what she says here... The week she's speaking about, she had been held up at gunpoint in her home with her family, and God had rescued them and delivered them. Early one morning, shortly after that dreadful week, God spoke to me very clearly from Psalm 23, verse 5. He has prepared before me a table in the presence of my enemies. It was as if God whispered in my ear, come and dine. I realized the table that he had set before me was the Word of God, my Bible. As I chose to take and believe all the truths that were written there, as I dined on all of those truths and embraced all of these verses, I acknowledged he is my refuge and strength. And it goes on to say this, and I think this is really challenging for all of us. As I look back now, I see that it's possible to have fellowship with anything we choose to. By that I mean that whatever we give room in our hearts to, whatever we embrace and think and talk about, the things we give time to our dreams and fears. They will grow only as we feed them and give them room. It is a good thing to learn to dine at the table of the king. Do we give room in our hearts for the presence of God? Do we take our Bible, the word of God, and dine on it, as she talked about here? Do we declare the promises from the word of God over our lives and over the lives of others? God wants to speak to us and have the opportunity to lead and guide us by his Holy Spirit. Further on in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, we see that Deborah was a wife leading Israel. She presided as a judge over the people. She was recognised by God and the people as a wise counsellor and judge. And at this time, a judge dealt with legal cases as well as being the leader of the people in a way like a kind of prime minister for us today. When God raised up a person to become a judge of his people, That person became their deliverer and liberator from the oppressor. Deborah was a judge for 20 years, and she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And it's interesting to look at the meaning of these two words in Hebrew. So Ramah, okay, one of the meanings is that it was a place of loosening or compromising of the truth, loosening or compromising of the truth. And the Israelites, spiritually speaking, had gone to this place where they were loosening what God had said. They were compromising their truth and their morals. However, Bethel means the house of God. And so Deborah was used by God to point the way for the Israelites Back to him, towards the house of God, from that place of Ramah, where they were compromising, back to God. The second dimension of Deborah's work was to administer sound counsel and settle disputes for the people of Israel. Knowing the way that the Israelites had gone, I can only imagine what she had to deal with. The arguments, the disputes, I would imagine that she didn't get much time away from that palm tree. But God had his hand upon her and worked through her. Tim Keller writes this. Deborah is different from all the other judges before and after her. She led from wisdom and character rather than from sheer might. She counseled and guided the people. She comes close, closest to becoming to being a godly leader instead of simply a general. Deborah led with wisdom and wisdom. And character because of her relationship with God. She was totally reliant upon him to speak and lead her. He was the one that gave her wisdom for all these disputes she had to deal with and the wisdom for the strategies for the battle with Caesar. In John 15, verse 5, it says this I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, we are called to remain in God, to spend time in his presence and let him have his way in our lives. God has a way of doing extraordinary things through ordinary and weak people. He took Deborah from lighting candles in the temple to lighting the way for the Israelites to be delivered, for God's people to be delivered. I wonder, has God spoken to you in the past or is he speaking to you now about something extraordinary he wants to do for you? Let him speak, spend time in his presence mm. and see what he wants to do.
0: Amen, yeah. Thank you, Debs. Okay, enter Barak. Here he goes. Now, I can't help this, but when I, I'm back to being a wee boy again. When I was a wee boy, I read this story and my Glaswegian accent, okay, this is the way I used to view it. Debbie, will you hold my hand, please? I want to go and fight, but I'm a wee bit scared. Will you take my hand and go with me, please? That's the way I used to view this story. And I have to say, there are two schools of thought about Barak. Here's one of them. Uh, I'll not quote the people, well, I'll quote them, I won't say who. But uh, Barak, on the other hand, is the archetypal passive male. He refuses to obey the Lord unless Deborah agrees to hold his hand. Okay, that's one view. Another view. I would say slightly more positive. What are we witnessing when Barak refuses to set out without this woman? Not cowardice. Far from it, but faith. Faith, that is, which is the glorious combination of a humble confession of his own inadequacy and a sure confidence in the grace of God, known in this case through his mouthpiece, Deborah. I would have to be honest with you and say, I've moved towards the second position rather than the first one. Okay? And the story says, just for, for recapping, Barak said in verse 8 to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, listen, oh, you naughty boy. No, no, no. She says, I'll surely go with you. I'll surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road in which you're going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Caesarea into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels and Deborah went up with him. I think the Lord's put in my heart a few things here that we can learn about Barak and indeed um, Deborah. The first one is this. Barak is a team player. He's not in this for his own glory. He's a team player. And I felt the Lord impress upon me this. We we see in this story the prophetic working with spiritual warfare. So what Barak I believe is saying is this look, God's called me to be a warrior. I'll carry out what God's called me to do. But I don't want to go without the prophetic voice of God leading and guiding in the battle. That, I believe, is one of the beautiful lessons we can learn here. He wants Deborah to go with him because she hears from God. She brings words from God. And he is encouraged and strengthened as the prophetic word comes in spiritual warfare. She says to him in verse 14, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Caesarea into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? She brings the word. Hey, This is the day. Go. And he goes, let's go. The prophetic and spiritual warfare working hand in hand. Can I give you a New Testament example? In Acts chapter 13, some prophets and teachers are gathered together. They're worshipping the Lord. They're fasting. And the Holy Spirit says, I want you to set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to do. This is a beautiful story. Because what happens is the prophetic comes... These guys are released into the battle to advance the gospel, to plant new churches, and the prophetic and the warfare go hand in hand. One great lesson. He's a team player. He's not a solo individualist doing his own thing. Secondly, he's a humble guy. He's not the kind of guy that's concerned. If you read Judges 5, 24 to 27, which Debs will touch on later, he gives great praise to the lady GL who brought the final part of the victory. He's not a guy who's fussed about his own particular personal glory. He's concerned about God's glory and about God's people being delivered. I like that in Barak. He's a humble man, and that's really, really important. And thirdly, he's a man of faith. Don't know if you know this, but if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, the New Testament, it says this, And what more shall I say? for time would fail me to tell of Barak. And Hebrews 11.32, he gets a mention as a champion of faith. A champion of faith. This is the best altar call I've ever had. Yeah. Two people are responding to the message as I preach. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Love it. Bless you. It's brilliant. Okay, so he's a man of faith. He's a man who hears what God has to say through the prophetess Deborah. He acts on it. He carries it through and he sees God do fantastic things. Uh, I remember a quick story about Terry Virgo years ago who was preaching and in this church, it was in the States, and he said, hands up those who are really blessed today by the word that he just preached, by the word of God. And, and, And all these hands go up. And then he said, The scripture. We're not blessed in hearing the word. We're blessed in doing the word. And that's so important. This guy hears the word. And he does what God calls him to do. He's a man of faith. I don't know why God doesn't put Deborah. Or JL in Hebrews 11. I can't answer your question. But I can tell you this. Barak's in there. Not because he's a wimp. Not because, Debbie, will you hold my hand, please? No. He's in there because he's a man of faith who works together with God's people, male or female, works together with God's people to see God's kingdom advance. And I, I just think he's, I think he's a great guy. And so my whole perception of Barak, thanks to at least a couple of writers, uh, and looking at scripture again, have helped me to think, wow, there's another side to this story compared to what I thought when I was a young boy. And that's a good encouraging thing, isn't it? We're all learning. We're all growing. We don't have to stick to an opinion, okay, unless it's fundamental. But there are things we learn, we grow, we develop, we see some things a little differently. And that's good. That's healthy. We're on a journey together. Okay, so hats off to Barak. Good guy. And a fantastic lady working with them. And of course, we'll hear later about a lady who uh, put us off camping for life. Thanks.
1: How do you follow that? Okay. <laughs> so, moving on into chapter five now, it's um, a chapter that is just full of a, a song of praise and adoration to the Lord. God is praised by Deborah and Barak for delivering the Israelites from the hand of Sisera. As the Israelite army marched, God was on the march showing his power through pouring rain in verse 4 we read. The one who makes the mountains quake was going to war in verse 5. Caesar's, Caesar's army did not stand a chance. He had so-called unbeatable chariots, but they were swept away by the river Kishon. Psalm 20, verse 6 to 8 says this, The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. With God for us, who can be against us? We're on the winning side, and we have our warrior God fighting for us as we face trials and battles in life, just as Deborah and Barak experienced. Do you know, worship and thanksgiving help to give us perspective through all the celebrations in life and for all the battles. We recognise that God ultimately is the one that gives us all good things. But we also recognise in those hard times that God never leaves us and is always with us. Now we sing a song at home and the chorus goes like this. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. In the battle, we need to come into God's presence in prayer and we need to worship him and recognize that he is the one that is all-powerful and will deliver us. Deborah lived a life dedicated to dwelling in the presence of God, a life of worship and thanksgiving. Praise and worship enabled Deborah to keep her eyes fixed on the true and living God, despite those difficulties that she was faced with on a daily basis. The challenge for us from chapter 5 is to ask ourselves, do we have worshipping and thankful hearts? Whether times are good or bad, we are called to praise and be thankful. Another book, guys. Okay, this one's called Daring to Hope, Finding God's Goodness in the Broken and the Beautiful. It's about an American lady called Katie, who felt called by God to go out to Uganda to um, work with orphan children. And eventually she opened up a huge house and adopted 13 children herself. She saw a lot of hardship, a lot of difficulties, but again, saw God at work in amazing ways. And at one time when she'd been going through some difficult times, she really felt God challenge her to be thankful. And he challenged her to be thankful with post-it notes, with sticky notes. So I just want to read this. Meanwhile, I kept recording on sticky notes the things God gave me. Sleepy baby snuggles, pink laundry flapping on the line, the encouragement of a friend, the provision of enough for today a home where strangers become family. Soon, sticky notes lined all the walls of the kitchen as I proclaimed to myself and anyone else who cared to know that God was my provider. Even when my flesh seized on the concern of not having enough and not being enough, I looked around at the tacky-looking neon-coloured paper that was taking over the walls, and I saw his provision that not only did not run out, but in itself was extravagant, abundantly, abundantly more than what we needed or deserved. I wonder how that makes you feel and how we should respond. Is there something practical you could be doing on a daily basis to show your praise and your thanksgiving towards God? Maybe you need to get some sticky notes and put them all over your kitchen as well. Maybe that's the way to go. But thankfulness brings us to a place where we see God at work in our lives. It reminds us of his provision and faithfulness and it brings us security and peace. Tim Keller writes this: Part of the key to enjoying peace is to be continually praising the Lord for what he has done and is doing for us, because the story we tell of our lives is not so much about us as about him. You know, if we live in just a judge's for mentality, it's almost like we just tell a narrative of our lives But if we live from a Judges 4 and 5 perspective, we become a more thankful, humble people who honour God because he is the one who redeems us and rescues us. Through being thankful and grateful is a good reminder in the hard times that God is faithful and his character doesn't change. So let's take that as a challenge today.
0: Uh, Am I on? Yes. Let's just pull it together, shall we? All these uh, things we've been sharing with you. What's God saying to you today? Here's one thing. It's time to return to the Lord. For some of us, it's time to come home. Uh, I was struggling to drive today on the way in, not because I was under the influence of alcohol or anything like that, but I was struggling to drive because I was crying. Because sometimes God just brings things to your memory and you think, I'm so moved by this. And it's a song by, if you want to get the chance to listen to it at home, I'd, I'd recommend it. A song by a Christian band called Ren Collective. And it's called Coming Home. And listen to this. This is what got me. True love is calling. I'm coming running home to you. Though I am broken, grace is my welcome home to you. If you need to come home today to the Father's house, come home. I'm sorry I keep saying this, but they're flooding back to me. It must be old age. When I was a wee boy, my mum used to say, Son, get yourself home. Your tea's ready. I felt God say today, Come home. The feast's ready. Come back to the Father's house. Don't wander anymore. Don't be oppressed by the enemy anymore. Run home to my house, says the Lord. Run home to my house. There's a feast ready for you. Draw near to him. As Debs was encouraging us. And listen to him. And let's obey him. Let's be wholehearted in our obedience. Not just what I fancy doing and what I don't fancy doing. You know, I'm, I'm guilty of that at times. And be thankful, overflowing worship. Anybody in the room testify that even though life's tough at times, when we worship, when we praise, when we're thankful, somehow our perspective changes. It changes the atmosphere in the workplace. It changes the atmosphere and when we gather together. It changes the, 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 the atmosphere in our marriages, in our family lives, and our singleness, and our neighbourly relationships we have. Everything changes with praise and worship and thankful hearts. Hallelujah. We're going to I'm going to invite the band to come now. And what we're going to do is this. We're